Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 29th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, Y Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. So we have a full house here because we got a bunch of news to talk about because, you know, we've been doing these Watchmen episodes, which everybody seems to love, but it also means that we get backed up on the news. Uh, something that broke yesterday, actually, after we all left the virtual newsroom that is uh, the Slash Home HQ, uh, was some some big Star Wars news broke because that tends to happen, like, after hours because why not? And uh, what the news was that the Game of Thrones directors, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, they were set to make a trilogy of Star Wars films uh, f- for Lucasfilm, uh, the first of which was coming in just a few years. And last night it was revealed that they were leaving that deal, that they were no longer going to be making this trilogy of movies, uh, that they they had recently signed a nine-figure deal with Netflix and basically that they would not have the time to to make these films, which this seems a little odd to me. Like I I, I know I I get the reputation of being a conspiracy theorist on on this podcast quite a bit, but it seems to me like if your agents at CAA or CAA, um, if they, you know, iron out this deal for you to make a trilogy of Star Wars films. And then they, you know, iron out a deal for you to, you know, have this Netflix deal. Like, you think they would get the scheduling right? Like, they are basically blaming that they're not going to have the time, but you think that they would have carved out the time for them to make Star Wars, right? Uh, Chris, am am, am I insane here to think that there's like that this might just be a cover story of some kind? Uh, I am positive it's a cover story of some kind. you know, there was that whole thing over the weekend where I don't know where they were. They were at some sort of conference or some sort of con. And basically they they revealed that they really didn't know what they were doing while making Game of Thrones. They sort of were just like winging it as they went along. And <laughs> that sort of that that thread blew up. Um, to be fair, some people have said 
their comments were taken out of context because, you know, it was someone recounting their comments at that con. It wasn't like we had a video of them talking. But in any case, that thread sort of blew up and people were sort of talking uh, about how, you know, these guys sounded like they basically failed upwards into making a, a million dollar show for HBO. And, you know, that led directly to them getting Star Wars. And then, you know, it does seem odd that after everyone was talking about this over the weekend, this news breaks that, oh, never mind, they're not going to be making this anymore. It's very similar to what happened with Colin Trevorrow, where he was he was all in and then the, the book of Henry came out. Everyone trashed it. And uh, he was like immediately like, never mind, he's no longer making Star Wars. I don't know. As much of a conspiracy theorist as I am, I don't think I don't think Colin Trevorrow not making Star Wars is related to Book of, Hen- Book of Henry, and I don't think that this is related to their comments this weekend. But uh, I do think there's something going on here, and it also seems weird because I know that they pitched this trilogy. This was supposedly going to take place somewhere elsewhere in the Star Wars timeline. Uh, we had theorized that it could be the Old Republic era. Um, you'd think that if these guys weren't making it, that they would have the announcement that, you know, they're still making these movies. They're going to find new writer directors. But that does not seem to be, be the case. Like the story here is that these movies are not going to be made. And uh, we have three re- release dates that are on the calendar for this trilogy. Uh, as far as we know, that this this is supposed to come out before Ryan Johnson even, you know, stepped into the director's chair for his trilogy of star wars films so uh ben what are your thoughts on this uh well yeah i also don't think it necessarily had anything to do with the thread this weekend because you know those comments that they made uh or allegedly made i should say um (laughs) they those comments have been around for a long time they've been like very open about their process with creating game of thrones and how they kind of came into it without having any TV experience and all that stuff. So, and, and obviously like people lost their minds and, and hated all over the show during its finale. So, you know, I, I find it hard to believe that Kathy Kennedy or somebody at Lucasfilm would be like, Oh, you know what? This little Twitter thread, people are getting angry about this and like not factor the ending of game of Thrones in, which was like a much, a comparatively much <laughs> louder thing. Um, so what do you think but, happened? Like, do you think it was reaction to that? that final no, season no. no no well no i don't think so i think it was probably just they had a pitch they came in presented it kathy kennedy and and her team liked what they had to say but then when it actually got down to executing it there was some creative differences there and they ended up just you know like the the concept of pitching something <laughs> and then you know there's a there's a creative evolution that happens with these projects so people could theoretically be on the same page early on and then once you start drilling down into the details that's when the division can begin. And I feel like that's happened a lot with uh, Star Wars in particular, you know, like Lord and Miller and stuff too. I think that's that's probably yeah. just what happened here. Like, that's why all of these people keep walking away from the franchise is just because they don't, you know, th- there's clearly some sort of creative rift going on where people seem to be on the same page for a while and then are suddenly not. And I, I think that's just another instance of that happening here. And it's another instance of Kathy Kennedy uh, cutting ties and, and theoretically preserving, you know, instead of just committing to it and, and being like, well, I don't want to look like, I don't want to, um, you know, save face and just, 
uh, go ahead with something that I don't believe in and and yeah. maybe release a product that is not up to my standards. I'm uh, just cut ties and, you know, you know, take the, the hit on the jaw now, but in the long run, still release a movie that makes money. So, um, yeah, uh, that's sort of a an amalgamation of my thoughts. It was funny in our Slack channel, uh, David Chen chimed in last night and joked that there's been almost as many people attached to Star Wars films at Disney that didn't make them that did make them. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, we had Josh Trank, we had Lord Miller, we had uh, Colin Trevorrow, we, and now this is the fourth, right? So, um, I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't happen in Hollywood. You know, development, you know, more things don't get made than get made by a wide margin. But it does seem like the what is going on at Lucasfilm, like what is going on at Lucasfilm? Like, I, I love Kathleen Kennedy. I love, you know, she's produced most of the films that, you know, I grew up watching and are, are a deep part of my childhood and that I love. But it, it feels like, I don't know, I... If anybody else was in charge of Lucasfilm, I feel like they would no longer be in charge of Lucasfilm after all the things that have happened along this journey uh, at Disney, with Disney trying to do Star Wars. But I, I don't know. But that, I don't think that's um, true, that... though, because she's made successful movies for the most part. I mean, take Solo out of the equation, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, if you're looking at just the bottom line – Kathleen Kennedy has made a ton of money for the company. So I, I don't know if it's fair to say that because she's fired a bunch of people or a bunch of people have walked away because of creative rifts that she would be fired if it was anybody else in that position. Because look at the end result, right? But yeah. I feel, I, I, And on that note, I also want to point out that this is not the first time that Benioff and Weiss have had a project that's kind of fallen <laughs> through after like post Game of Thrones. And I feel like a lot of it, I'm so secret that I'm not a fan of, of Benioff and Weiss, so yeah. I might just be adding on to the pile on. But uh, I feel like the the Game of Thrones buzz has started to sort of fade away, and maybe whatever pitches that were immediately accepted in the aftermath of that have started to kind of crumble. Um, but we saw that with um, the HBO series that never got made, Confederate, uh, which also got a lot of backlash <laughs> towards it. And so I I don't think it's only on the Lucasfilm side either. Yeah, and I, I'm the one guy in this world that didn't even like Game of Thrones even a little. So to me, I'm not upset over this. I guess what I'm more upset is as someone who loves Star Wars, it's really starting to look like we're not going to get another Star Wars film for a good number of years because it doesn't seem like they're going to be able to fast track anything for you know but, those release date slots that they but have. maybe that's a good thing like, <laughs> i was gonna say the same thing <laughs> like look i don't i am not a star wars hater i've enjoyed all these new movies i even think solo is pretty good despite you know everyone sort of like agreeing at this point it's bad you know what i didn't like is is rogue one which everyone seems <laughs> to think is like great but besides the point I think it's okay to take some time off. We've had so like we, we went from having no star Wars to having nonstop star Wars things. And even though the movies are dying down now, we still have the Mandalorian and we have star Wars land and it's, you know, star Wars as a thing isn't going away. And I think it's okay if we take a few years off because it would make the interest in a new star Wars movie, all the more interesting, you know, I'm all for like, a three like a three or four year cool down and then we come back with something new i think that would be cool 
Yeah, yeah but Lucasfilm has said that they plan to do to take a break after episode nine comes out too, in terms of uh, theatrical releases. But I think this was the three year cooldown. Like, wasn't it like wasn't the first film going to come out in what uh, I don't have in front of me twenty twenty two or something? Uh, like now that this isn't happening, I feel like we're going to get a five year cooldown. Which That's okay. I, you know, I, I, Chris, I'm not I'm not against like the idea. Like, I I don't think we need a Star Wars movie every year, <laughs> um, but I I do think they could do a good Star Wars movie every two years. I I really do feel like that's possible. It's very possible. I mean, we get more good Marvel movies than that. Uh, Honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lucasfilm and Disney are like shifting all their focus to Disney Plus stuff. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got more. Disney Plus announcements. I mean, you know, they already have the Mandalorian. Then, of course, they have the the Ewan McGregor um, Obi Wan show they're developing. I well, would well, not you know be surprised. It's funny that you bring that up because another story we wanted to talk about today was that we learned that that Obi Wan Kenobi television series was actually originally planned to be a feature film. Wait, we have more Star Wars news. I'm shocked. We have a lot <laughs> more Star Wars news. HC, what do we know about this? Yes, Ewan McGregor confirmed that um, the original plan for the the Obi-Wan project was as a feature film. Uh, He told ComingSoon.net that it wasn't always going to be a series initially. Uh, When they first started talking about it, that wasn't in the cards, but everything started to change so much so quickly. Um, And that was... that. Uh, gels with previous reports we heard back in, I think, 2017 that Stephen Daldry was in talks to direct the Obi-Wan Kenobi spinoff film, but then that kind of fell by the wayside after the poor box office um, performance of Solo, A Star Wars Story. And I say poor, um, as in it did it still made a lot of money, but it was a disappointment by Disney and Lucasfilm standards. And on what Chris was saying, I do think that actually is correct in that Disney and Lucasfilm will be eyeing or like shifting their Star Wars or like even major uh, big blockbuster or uh, ambitious ideas to Disney Plus because they can pour money into it and not have to worry about the potential uh, financial losses or losses of dignity that come with (laughs) box office reports. Yeah. Um, And speaking of box office, uh, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is tracking for the lowest opening of the sequel trilogy, uh, at least for now. What do we know about that? Yes. According to Box Office Pro, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is projected to bring in between $185 million to $225 million in its opening weekend. It's a three-day uh, holiday weekend. Um, the website estimates that the box office hall for those three days will actually be about 200 million which is lower than what force awakens opened to in which was 247.9 million while the last jedi opened to 220 million but um that is also <laughs> a really early projections it's still a movie that's two months away from its release and we saw recently that the pre-sale tickets uh for episode nine were breaking records for its first hour sales. And um, it's possible that these numbers could change. Uh, Box Office Pro also points out that 
the Star Wars trilogies in the past have performed in that the first film always um, makes the most money and sets the most um, expectations, whereas there's a dip with the second film, and then the third often comes up as the second best performing, and that could um, end up being the case with this, although it is yeah, still a little bit lower than Last Jedi for now. But yes, it's still early numbers. Yeah, and we should say that even... Even at two hundred million, that would still put them in the top, like what, uh, top seven biggest openings top, of all time. Uh, yes, top seven. Yeah, at least the top ten. Um, and all of those, most of which are uh, occupied by Disney films, so yeah. they're not worried for now. Yeah, I feel like people are concentrating on the negativity of that. Uh, I will say, you know, when Star Wars: The Force Awakens came out, it, it did a huge box office, and then. Uh, the uh, the Last Jedi did not do as well, and a lot of the the fans that did not like that movie used that as an example of oh the fans didn't want to come out. Let's see what what are the numbers? Uh, so Force Awakens did nine hundred thirty six million dollars domestically, and then Last Jedi did six hundred twenty million. But that kind of follows the pattern, like you said, of like you know uh, New Hope to Empire. But I will say Return of the Jedi did do better than Empire. So if this film cannot do better than Last Jedi, does that signal that Star that that we actually did lose a lot of Star Wars fans from The Last Jedi? What, what do you think, Ben? Maybe it means what Chris was saying, that people are sick of just in, being inundated with Star Wars stuff and we need a little bit of a break, which if that's the case, good news, a break appears to be on the way. <laughs> But this is also the night. This is the final episode of this nine movie arc. Yeah, but like, as much as they slap final all over the marketing for this, no one, <laughs> no one believes that. First of all, and even if it is the final Skywalker story, there's still so much Star Wars. I I really think part of this has to do with marketing. Um, you know, they haven't really ramped up the marketing for this yet. Yeah, we just got that trailer, but. I mean, you know, that is the final have, trailer. Yeah, but we still also have like still two months of like TV spots yeah. and other reveals, and I'm sure they're gonna kick into you know the the marketing more so now as we get closer to it. And I'm you know I'm I'm not concerned. <laughs> it's also one of these those things too, where if you try to compare it to something like Marvel, like the Marvel movies, those are all interconnected, and I think. I think Lucasfilm kind of shot itself in the foot a little bit by mixing in these standalone Star Wars stories that are prequels. And, and instead of just telling one consistent story all the way through, they they yeah. like mess with the timeline. And like, you know, people my parents age and stuff couldn't keep it straight. You know, what movie comes after what? What, you know, does this where's Ray and Rogue One, like all that kind of stuff. Um, I think they they just got a little too greedy with with Star Wars to start. And I think they could have, you know, built themselves up to potentially record breaking numbers or numbers that would have been maybe higher than they they are right now. If they had told a consistent story where all of these things are are uh, tied into the same, you know, overall timeline instead of being so separated by decades and all of that within the world of the the universe. So, yeah. I don't know, just a thought. No, I, My I mean, parents were also very confused by the number of brunette British women who were in each of these movies. Um, yeah, how like, many people went to Rogue One thinking that was Rey? It was it was sad. They looked nothing like each other. 
They don't, but um, yeah, for the unsee for the uh, unaware uh, eye, it would definitely start to bleed, bleed together. Yeah. Okay. Our, our final Star Wars story for today, uh, not our final story, uh, story, but our final Star Wars story for today is about the Mandalorian. Uh, there's some news that came out this weekend that the reason why critics are not going to be screened the first episode of the Mandalorian is because it contains a major Star Wars spoiler. HT, what does that mean? Well, first, we can keep secrets. So I don't know what those rumors are talking about. But yeah. um, there was a recent hidden uh, New York Times article that hidden in this article um, about the workings of Disney Plus is a revelation that a dramatic Star Wars universe spoiler is contained in the first episode of The Mandalorian. We don't know what that spoiler is. Um, or how it will be related to the uh, Skywalker saga, or if it will be related to the Skywalker saga, but that is something that is uh, apparently hiding for us within that first episode. Hmm. Uh, what do you think this, what do you make of this? Like, what could it possibly be? We know so little about the Mandalorian as it is that I I don't know if I could act, like very yeah. accurately guess what it would be, but the Mandalorian does take place five years after the Return of the Jedi, um, a time period that was kind of explored in the Disney Channel series Star Wars Resistance and has been alluded to in Force Awakens and Last Jedi. I can't speak to all the other like novels and comics, but I'm sure like there's been some exploration there. But largely, there hasn't been a series that's like set. Uh, right in this time period. And so there's a lot that they could go into um, and uh, affect the later movies, the movies that take place later, or even allude back to the prequels. Um, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I, I'm yeah. sure it could be a revelation that is really interesting, maybe a peek into Ray's past or something, or maybe a connection to Boba Fett, the famous bounty hunter that a lot of people thought that this series would be about. Um, so yeah, who knows? I, I feel like Ray and Kylo were probably born around that time, right? Like mm -hmm. about five years after Return of the Jedi. Uh, if I had to put my money on anything, and I don't, I don't, I do not know anything, honestly. It, I would assume that we're going to learn that Boba Fett survived return of the jedi is what, what i'm guessing not that we will see him not that he'll be a big part of this but uh that's what i'm I love guessing that's so much though it was so silly yeah it is silly uh okay let's move on from star wars and let's move on to other disney stuff because disney owns everything uh disney also wants to get into the game of making a christmas carol mu uh, musical because uh not that like they haven't already done that before chris what do we know yeah, so earlier this month, uh, we learned that Apple had shelled out a ton of money to get the rights to a Christmas Carol musical starring um, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. And, uh, you know, it's going to be for their, their streaming service, Apple TV+. And apparently Disney uh, just <laughs> won't allow anyone to have their own thing. So now they're making their own uh, Christmas Carol musical. Um, we don't know who's going to be in it. We we know that Bill Condon, who directed the the live action Beauty and the Beast, is directing it. We also know it's going to be called Marley, so it's going to be told from the point of view of Scrooge's ghostly uh, business partner, Jacob Marley. But oh, we also know that it's not going to be good. Yes, it'll probably be bad. Um, 
<laughs> but you are a fan of the other Disney Christmas Carol movie, right? I mean, I'm a big fan of a Christmas Carol in general. When I was growing up, I was a, I mean, it was always like my favorite Christmas story because it had ghosts in it, and I was really into ghosts and stuff like that. So, and you know, this story has been told so many times, and we've we've already had multiple. Uh, Christmas Carol musicals and Disney, like you said, already has one of their own with the the Muppets Christmas Carol. So I don't really know <laughs> what what there is left to say about this story, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, well, tell me it from this other perspective. What could that bring to it? Uh, I don't. <laughs> they're gonna have to change things because Jacob Marley, like he shows up <laughs> in the beginning of the story and then he's never seen again. So if they're retelling. The whole story, they're going to need to like alter it. So I guess Jacob Marley's going to hang around a little bit longer instead of whisking away into the night. But uh, beyond that, I don't know, you know, what else is there to say? Maybe it's Scro- just a, a prequel where he and Scrooge are just being miserable for two hours and then he dies <laughs> at the end and that's the end of the movie. See, I would watch that. Like no one learns anything. Like they're just <laughs> they're just greedy jerks and then Jacob Marley dies and then the movie ends. So I think we're all saying bah humbug to this idea. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay, another idea that will not seem to die is a Pirates of the Caribbean reboot. Um, it has got one of the original film's writers on board and a, a surprising uh, new screenwriter. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so I guess last year, Disney hired the writers of Deadpool, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, to, to develop a Pirates of the Caribbean reboot that does not include uh, Johnny Depp's Captain Jack Sparrow. But those guys, those writers ended up leaving earlier this year. And we thought, oh, maybe Disney is finally going to let this Pirates franchise go because the most recent entry did not perform uh, comparatively as well as as Disney would have liked. And it was, you know, the the whole series has just become basically creatively bankrupt at this point. But apparently the brand, uh, the the iconography is too strong because Disney has now hired Ted Elliott, who co-wrote most of the existing Pirates films. And Craig Mazin, who wrote uh, the Hangover sequels and also became an an Emmy winner for the HBO series Chernobyl. So um, Mazin is sort of a surprising hire in in this regard. Like, you know, nothing in his um, filmography has really indicated that he would be a good fit for, you know, a swashbuckling action (laughs) adventure kind of thing. But uh, I really loved what he did with Chernobyl. That's like one of my favorite shows of this year, one of my favorite pieces of any media that I've seen this year. And uh, it was a total surprise to me because most of the work that he has been credited for anyway has been stuff that I've just really not been interested in. Like the Hangover sequels, I think, are actively terrible. And then, you know, he wrote The Huntsman Winter's War, for example, something I I didn't even bother seeing because I was just so uninterested in it. But so I'd sort of written him off as... Um, you know, maybe like maybe like a, an entertaining uh, podcast host because he co-hosts uh, Script Notes, a popular podcast with uh, John August, but not really a writer that I should be paying attention to. And then Chernobyl sort of came out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, wow, this guy actually has talent and, and uh, is interested in telling interesting stories and maybe just hasn't been given the opportunities to do things that he, you know, that are more in his wheelhouse. So maybe he has a, a fresh take on a, a pirate story. Um, and that's the thing, too. They're, they're being hired to develop a new story for a reboot of this franchise. So, again, I, I think that means no Jack Sparrow, no characters that we know before. Um, so, yeah, this is supposed to be 
uh, yeah, a, a fresh take. And Ted Elliott, who, uh, like I said, co-wrote a bunch of the early ones, the the other Pirates movies, also has a bunch of really good credits to his name. He wrote um, or co-wrote Aladdin and Small Soldiers and uh, Shrek and The Mask of Zorro. So, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like an, an interesting but unconventional pairing. Yeah, I know I've thrown out this theory in the past, but I, I think this is going to center on Red, who is better known as the Redhead. She was a wench in the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, which recently has gotten, recently a few years back, got uh, redone, and she's now a pirate. So I, I'm guessing that's going to be the approach for it, but who knows? Uh, I, You know what? If there's one thing that this teaches us, it is that I have no nothing to worry with Star Wars. Because it seems like Disney is willing to keep on making Pirates of the Caribbean movies, even though people don't want them and are success, uh, you know, creatively and financially bankrupt <laughs> because uh, <laughs> of the iconography, as you said. Uh, yeah. So, so maybe I have nothing to worry about. Uh, but okay, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Netflix because one thing that kind of uh, came up on Friday and was talked about all weekend is this test that they're doing with variable playback speeds. I know that some people like to listen to their podcasts on a quicker speed so that they can get through the episode faster. And I probably sound like, like one of the chipmunks from Elvin and chipmunks, but uh, while you're listening to this, but some, some people apparently might want to do this with movies. Chris, what do we know? Yeah. So yeah, this story broke uh, last week and then over the weekend. And then yesterday it, it sort of picked up traction with, um, filmmakers sharing it in outrage. And uh, so Netflix has been testing this. It's, it's beta testing. It's it's not like something everyone has. And it's, it's so far apparently only been on Android devices. Like no one's reported it elsewhere. And it's worth noting that Netflix tests stuff all the time without actually rolling it out. Um, but yeah, the, the concept is they would be able to either, you know, viewers would be able to slow down uh, what they're watching or speed it up. And um, <sighs> this sounds like a nightmare to me, but uh, you know, to be fair, even if they rolled this out for everyone, it's not like we'd have to use it. It's not like we're being forced to use it. Um, Netflix sort of jumped in uh, yesterday with the, to weigh in on all the backlash and, they said, you know, uh, quote, we've been sensitive to creator concerns and haven't included bigger screens, in particular TVs, in this test. We've also automatically corrected the pitch in the audio at faster and slower, slower speeds. In addition, members must choose to vary the speed each time they watch something new versus Netflix maintaining their settings based on the last choice. We have no plans to roll out any of these tests in the short term. And whether we introduce these features for everyone at some point will depend on the feedback we receive, end quote. So it sounds like, you know, they've heard everyone complaining about this and it's highly unlikely that they'll roll this out for everyone. But it, it caught a lot of people's attention because, you know, pacing and stuff is a big point, big part of constructing movies uh, for filmmakers and to have Netflix, you know, just come in and give you people the option to speed it up has not sat well with a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I know I have friends. I, I have smart people that I trust their opinions and, but they listen to podcasts at 1.5 times speed, which I don't understand how you could possibly do that. And I, I even know of a, a critic who sometimes watches films 
at a faster speed on their PlayStation uh, because you can do it at a, like a slightly faster speed. Well, that person it. should turn in their critic badge <laughs> and gun because. <laughs> By the way, they do not write for Slash Home. I will say that. Okay. Um, Good. But, but like, so, so like if we do allow this option, I mean, should we even allow the option, Chris? <laughs> Look, I mean, you know, it's, it's Netflix's game. Like they can do what they want. And honestly, if they, allowed it i wouldn't like freak out too much and i actually think it might be cool the slowdown thing might actually be interesting if you want to like go back and study like a specific scene or something like that but i don't know Uh, look people are gonna do what they want to do people already watch things quote unquote wrong now anyway by you know live tweeting through them which i always think is a, a bad idea because if you're live tweeting something, you're not really watching it. So, yeah. but you know, that's, that's a whole other thing. Well, I'm w- more worried of like a motion smoothing situation, which it sounds like it's not going to be because it sounds like Netflix is, you're going to have to enable it every time if this becomes a feature and it's not going to be something that's going to be enabled by default. So, uh, I don't know. I, j- I just have so little faith in our society, but Chris, good news is uh, the people that were complaining that uh, The Irishman is too long can now watch it in two hours. Yes, just as Martin Scorsese would want you to do. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about one last story today. Uh, I'm going to cut this down because we're going long. But uh, Universal Studios has announced that their theme parks are going to bring in facial recognition technology. Ben, what do we know about that? Yeah, before we do that, I have to say that I am one of those people that listens to podcasts on uh, multiple speeds. Ben, so you, you're a maniac. For all of you other people out there like me, there are dozens of us. Dozens, I say. So anyway, <laughs> uh, just I, had, I couldn't let that go without copying to the fact that I'm Wait, 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 wait. So, let, let, let's, let's stretch this out even longer. Oh, God. Why? Okay. Why, Ben? Why? Uh, because Explain I yourself. listen to a ton of podcasts, and I think there's been there have been studies that say that the human brain is such an advanced thing that it knows as soon as you like begin to form a word, we're smart enough to, to like fill it in. And there's like, I'm, I'm paraphrasing horribly a study that may or may not exist here. So pardon me, but uh, it's like, we are so uh, complex of, of creatures that we can process information way faster than it's delivered to us. So when I'm listening to a podcast on regular speed, I know what they're going to say, you know, as they're saying it, basically. And there's so much. Yeah, dead but you time. miss the comedic timing. No, the, the, the most of the podcasts that I listen to are not comedic. So, uh, the, you know, I will say there are exceptions like serial and stuff like that. I, I'll listen to at, at normal speed because um, the because like Chris mentioned with movies, like the pacing is an important thing. When when like somebody is interviewing a suspect in a crime, you want to have the full experience of like hearing the tonation of their voice and like how long exactly it takes them to answer a question and stuff like that. Um, so on certain instances, I'll play it in real speed, but just for like normal, uh, everyday listening, I just kick it up a little bit and it's not that drastic, but it, I I don't know. I, I just, uh, I don't find, (laughs) I I find it, uh, a more, how much time does this save you? If you're listening to like a half an hour podcast, uh well I mean if it's two times speed it's only wait, 15 wait, minutes. Wait, you're doing right? two but, times um, speed? 
I mean, sometimes, yeah, it depends on the podcast. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm sure there are other people out there who do this. So maybe you can write in if you're another <laughs> listener like me and, and maybe offer your own um, uh, justification for why you listen the way that we do. But uh, yeah, I'd be interested to hear what other people have to say about this. I mean, I guess we can't rely on people listening to us for two and a half hours every week. And maybe this would <laughs> make it so they could do it in one and a half. Yeah, but, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so Ben, tell us about this facial recognition okay, technology. So yes, at Universal Beijing Resort, which is set to open in 2021, uh, Universal has teamed up with this Chinese tech company called Alibaba, which is, I think, one of the biggest tech companies in the world, for what they're calling a next-generation theme park experience that is basically going to utilize facial recognition technology to let people do a bunch of things in the park, everything from like park entry to storage lockers to express lane access to payment for merchandise and meals. That's what the uh, the press release said. So um, there's a rumor that this is actually going to be not just at this Chinese park, but Universal is developing, um, you know, working on implementing this facial recognition technology at all of the Universal parks worldwide. So uh, that's still unclear, but um, yeah, that's the that's the big thing. It, it it basically is like if you know the the magic bands that you wear at Walt Disney World. If you maybe if you've never been to Walt Disney World, if you saw the Florida Project, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, this technology is supposed to basically just be able to do everything that those magic bands can do. But just using your face instead of you having to, you know, physically scan a device. So, uh, yeah, that's the that's the update. Yeah. So this is kind of crazy. I guess everybody has this in their pocket with their iPhone. They have the the the, un the face unlock or whatever it's called, face ID. Mm -hmm. um, but now this is going to enable in the parks. I, I Universal's Epic Universe, which is the third theme park in Orlando is set to open in 2023. That's also news that uh, broke uh, recently on Friday, I think. And uh, and this is ex also expected to use this facial recognition technology. There's like rumors actually that the the main part of the park in the middle is going to be kind of like City Walk, where anybody can access it. And then going into the lands will actually require the quote unquote ticket where your face will get scanned and allow you into those lands, which is kind of hmm. crazy. But, like, yeah. do you think everybody's going to want the, the ability to, like, people, like, are so secret with their privacy, and now, like, they're going to have, like, their faces scanned for admission? Yeah, I, I mean, in the article I wrote, like, about a decade ago, I feel like there would have been a much bigger pushback of, over, you know, possible security and privacy concerns of, you know, a tech company, especially like a, a tech company that is so tied to China, which has like an authoritarian government, and you probably wouldn't want them knowing exactly where you are at all times. Um, anyway, there, there's, I thought maybe 10 years ago, there would have been a, a big pushback about that. But it seems like, as a society, we've all sort of decided to, you know, <laughs> cede that control over to tech companies and just like let people like you just sort of shrug your shoulders and go like, well, yeah, I guess they already know where I am. They already know. So we might as well make this easier for me in the long run. But I don't know. It, it makes me feel strange, but I'm not really sure what to do about it, because it does feel like this is sort of the direction, the next logical step for these parks to make, you know, to sort of make a, a smoother user experience for everybody. I will say this. When I was in Seattle a year or two ago uh, for Dave Chen's wedding, I, I got to experience that Amazon store in downtown where you actually with you scan your phone while going in and it's, it connects to your Prime account or your Amazon account. Mm -hmm. And basically you just pick up anything you can put in your bag and you just walk out of with it. Everything is 
like the technology just tracks what you take and it scans your face like you know it's just using facial scanning and all this other insane technology i I, as much as like i don't like giving up privacy it would be cool to go to a theme park and just be able to like pick up the food and not have to wait in the long line to check out you know you just scan your face and go yeah, so. that's part of it too. That's that's part of the um, what they're trying to do. They they want you to be able to order stuff online and just yeah, like cut down on wait times and and presu- presumably ride times as well. Like maybe you could just log in and and you know deal with all that. They're they're going to offer you like food and drink recommendations based on your preferences. You're going to be able to you know buy merch and stuff directly from. Uh, your phone, I guess, using your yeah. face. <laughs> so yeah, there's a there's a lot there. The, the the one thing I'm wondering is, do you think this will put up more gates? And by that, I mean, do you think now that they'll have this technology that, in addition to buying your ticket to the Universal theme park, if you want to access to the dark universe world, Chris, uh, then you have to pay this extra upcharge, and you know you only be gained admission with your face. If like, it feels like that is not something that was they were logistically capable of mm. before but now they might be so that i don't know maybe sometimes people will have to pay more to get into like galaxy's edge or something like that so yeah i didn't think about that that, yeah. that could be but like theme park prices are already pretty expensive as is so like at a certain point they're just going to push away potential customers but maybe i'm sure they're going to ride that line as close as they can you know yeah Okay, we've gone long with this episode, so I'm going to end it here. You can find more of all of our stories at SlashFilm.com. You can find more of us there as well. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow. So it's only 40 minutes. If you were listening at double speed, it would be like 20 minute episode. Yeah, there you go, man. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Maybe they have a point to it. Maybe you have a point, Ben.